Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where anyone and everyone who cannot bear the thought of remaining trapped in a status quo version of Christianity can find a home. Religious traditions eventually suffocate us. Empty church trends almost always leave us in the shallow end of the pool. But kingdom truth straight from God's word spiritually transforms us. And if you desire this, then you too are likely a maverick and a misfit. And now, here is our host, a Christian whose entire ministry has challenged the religious system, Jeff Lyle. You guys gotten used to that uh, new funky music, the intro music. Uh, we made a change around January, and I kind of like the funky vibe a little bit. Um, new year, new vibe, new sound. Funkalicious. How about that for a conservative podcast. Um, no, I'm not trying to be uber uh, connective to the younger generation. I just kind of like the beat. And so we put it together with our friend Savannah's voice and uh, works out pretty good. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits today. My name's Jeff Lyle. Thanks for uh, giving some of your time, which I consider valuable, uh, to listen to some things that I want to share. If you are new to the podcast, I really want to encourage you, um, go back and listen to the previous episode or this episode will make very little sense. And, um, if you missed the last, last episode on the coming delusion, part one, really do want you to press pause on this bad boy and then go back one, listen to that, and then come back here and listen to this one because really, um, it's one thought, but it was just too long for um, one podcast. And so I want to do t- part two today on the coming delusion. Um, again, if you want the backstory, I don't have time to retrace all our steps up to this point in today's podcast. Uh, so you can go back and listen to the previous one. So I, for those of you that did hear uh, the first one, um, the the commitment that I've got today is to land this thing and to kind of give you scriptural understanding about my conclusion personally that we are um, perilously close to the hour on planet earth, the age, the season, the year, whatever you want to call it. We are very close to that season where the coming delusion will be unleashed. Yes, I know it is going to happen uh, during the last half of the tribulation. I get that. Um, and you can do whatever math you want. Some of you guys are pre-trib. Some of y'all are post-trib, post-mill, pre-mill, on-mill. Um, I'm just going to leave that for a different day. But what I'm telling you is the Bible is very clear that this will happen on planet Earth. My personal persuasion is that the church will be around for this. Yep, you heard me right. I do not believe that the church gets raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. I leave a little latitude for the possibility that the church might get uh, caught up um, midway pre-wrath. But my gut, (laughs) my scripturally informed gut tells me that uh, the church, some of the church, will have to go through the tribulation. And so um, the idea of the great delusion, which I submitted to you in the previous podcast, um, it hits planet Earth. And you'll remember that the scriptures teach that the coming delusion is not fostered by the Antichrist. It is not fostered by an apostate church. It is not fostered by a political system that the ultimate source of the coming delusion is, wait for it, God. 
you'll need to remember that in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, the Bible says God sends a strong delusion for the purpose of the unsaved believing fully what is false. So the delusion is the force or the power that enables or facilitates unbelievers who've hardened their heart against God fully believing the falsehoods propagated on the earth at that time, primarily by the Antichrist. The delusion is different than the specific falsehood or deception. The delusion is the literally God giving over the entire planet to the belief system in the Antichrist. God literally does something. What is it? What is it that he does? How does he do the, the strong delusion? I don't know. It just says that he does. And the result is that people believe the lie. Did God make them believe the lie? No, they already had rejected the truth of God's word. And therefore what God does is he removes his grace. He removes his mercy. He removes his conviction. He removes his activity from wooing people to the truth about Jesus. And once that happens, it's impossible for anybody to repent or be saved. And then on top of that, in some proactive way, God sends a power of delusion that literally, um, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but he he assists people in their desire not to believe him. So they make up their minds. We see it pictured in the life of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh hardens his heart against God to not release the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then the Bible says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Hardened first Pharaoh against God. God uh, Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. And then God said, okay, that's what you want to do. I'm going to help you. And so that's a microcosm of what's going to happen globally during this time period. And so what, what are we to believe about this? You know, literally, what's going on here? Why does God... Why does he, in one sense, cooperate with the spirit of the age? And why does he seal the deal for those that are rejecting him? Because isn't God all merciful? Isn't he all grace? Isn't he full of compassion and slow to anger? Yep, he is all of those things. I mean, you are living in that beautiful reality right now. But guys, I need to remind you of something. The God of compassion, mercy, and grace, and love is also the God of truth and holiness. And the God of truth and not two different gods, one God. He's the only being in which mercy, grace, and compassion can coexist inside the infinite, immeasurable being of God alongside of justice, wrath, and full judgment. And so God is operating right now primarily in grace and mercy and compassion with the human race. But there is coming a deadline. And that's why we're warned so many times in both Old Testament and New Testament, in um, every facet of scripture, we are warned there is a coming day. There is a coming day. There is a coming day where all of these things, grace, mercy, compassion, will no longer be the primary modes by which God interacts with humanity because at the end of the age, God will say the day of grace is gone. The day of mercy is gone. My compassion is no longer operative. I now am acting according to my holy judgment and it will be expressed in wrath. 
So ultimately, at the end of the age and moving into the eternal state, nothing can exist which does not glorify God. So therefore, God must destroy all sin. And people who cling to their sin in rebellion against God and his word, the God will destroy everything that does not glorify him. So he must destroy all sin and people that do not part or are not parted from their sin through faith in Christ will be destroyed eternally along with their sin. And we see that as wrath. And that's not only for humanity, that is for Satan and his demons. So all of that's got to happen. So at the end of the age, what God does is he accelerates the hardening of the hearts of people who already have rejected truth, believed a lie, and said no to him. So in essence, I want you to think about this, because people always protest this kind of thing. They think, God can't do that. That's not right. That's not fair. You better be careful. Because ultimately what God is doing is he's honoring the decision of people to their own destruction. When a person rejects God, when a person says no to the gospel, when a person does not choose to believe God's truth and they harden their heart against them and they refuse the truth and believe the lie, what they're saying is, God, I want to be independent of you, even to the extent that I don't choose to believe you exist. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to think of you. I don't want to know you. I don't want to obey you. I don't want to submit to you. I don't want to cooperate with you. And I certainly don't want to bow to you. Therefore, I refuse you. And so ultimately what God does at the end of the age is he says to every creature that believes that way, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. If that is what you want, I have gone out of my way so that you may never experience the ramification of what you're saying you want. I sent my son to die for you. I sent my prophets to proclaim to you. I gave you my word so that you could read, believe, and I gave you the Holy Spirit who convicted you and sought to draw you into salvation. You've refused everything I've done. So ultimately it is clear you do not want me. So I will not force myself upon you. You can spend eternity apart from me. However, you need to remember that I told you that eternity apart from me exists in a place called hell, a place of eternal torment and punishment. You have chosen that. So God is not unjust and God is not unloving and God is not unkind. God owes no man anything. And so ultimately what God does is says this to, to humanity. I want to give you the very best that I, God have to offer. I have provided that through one means. And that means is my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his death paid for your sin, his resurrection secures the promise of life beyond the grave for you and his lordship is the rule to which you must submit and follow and it is a beautiful lordship because he is kind and good and loves you and so if you will trust him here's everything that i have to offer if you refuse that that it's a package deal and you must incur my wrath now again people don't love that because people don't want accountability they don't want absolute truth. They don't want to picture God's kind patting on the head and niceness coming to an end. And so they refuse the truth about the coming judgment. It doesn't matter because God's not looking for a move, a second, and a majority vote. He has decreed it, it will happen. So that's why when he declares at the end of the age that he's going to send a strong delusion. This is so important. Um, listen to what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus said about this same time period at the end of the age. Jesus says at the end of the age, before his second coming, false Christs and false prophets 
will arise. This is Matthew 24, 24. False Christ, false messiahs, false prophets will arise. Now watch this. At the end of the age, these false prophets will perform great signs and wonders. So they'll actually have supernatural power, but it won't be holy fire. It won't be God's power. It'll be demonic in, in some form or another, or it will be the appearance of what looks like supernatural power through signs and wonders. But it could be something at the end of the age that is simply fabricated by technology. But the end result is that people will be in awe of these false messiahs and these false Christs and these false prophets, and they will do things that other average people can't do. Now, note what Jesus says. He says this in Matthew 24, 24. He says these false messiahs, false prophets will arise. They'll perform great signs and wonders. Why do they do this? So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And then Jesus adds this in verse 25. I've told you beforehand. And that carries the weight of a warning. Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, 25, I want you to remember I told you beforehand what it was going to look like at the end of the age. And Matthew 24, you ought to read the whole chapter because it gives a lot of indicators about what to be looking for uh, prior to the return of Christ and that generation right before Christ returns. And a lot of that stuff's happening. You can read Matthew 24, but I'm seizing in on this one thing. He says that at the end of the age, the deception will be so strong and it will be facilitated through false prophets, false Christ, and we connect that with other passages of Scripture that clearly indicate that this, the demonic power, the satanic power, and just the, the manifestation of signs and wonders at the end of the age will lead astray. But notice what Jesus says. This is what I'm trying to zero in on. He said, if it were possible, if it were possible, even the very elect would be saved. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is saying that the, the deception at the end of the age will be so strong that Christians, saved people, born-again people, they're called here the elect, which is always a reference to born-again redeemed Christians. If the elect could be deceived, they would be deceived at the end of the age. This is huge on many levels, but I'm going to keep it narrow focus. First of all, this tells me that the truly born again, the elect of God chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, those people cannot be deceived out of the faith. That is so plain and so clear. Matthew 24, straight out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says the strongest possible deception to ever hit the planet still cannot deceive the elect of God, the saved, the truly saved. Now, then whom can be deceived? That is the question we need to answer. Well, listen, it's going to be people that said, at some point in their life, Jesus come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you're the son of God. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. It'll be people that have a form of godliness, people that went to church, people that preached, people that prophesied, people that did signs and wonders. Matthew chapter seven clearly indicates that at the end of the age, there's going to be a group of people that stand before Jesus right before they experience their eternal eviction from his presence. And they're going to protest. They're going to say, wait a minute. Did we not in your name prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus says, in essence, yes, you did, but you and I have actually never 
never met. I never knew you. And so what you've got, you need to recognize this, that in under the banner of Christendom, there are many, many, many innumerable people who have the right theology, who seem to have spiritual power. They have flourishing ministries. Outwardly, they sing the same songs. They say yes and amen to the same doctrines. They go to church. They have disciplines. But they never were born again. And so what's going to happen at the end of the age where many forces will work together to sift out false Christians from true Christians. And the primary means by which that is going to be done is the deception and the persecution. The activity of deception from the Antichrist in the satanic realm will work in conjunction with global worldwide persecution against Christians to the extent where people are going to have to recant their faith or die. And what's going to happen is that the people who recant their faith will give evidence that they were never truly born again. And so when, when somebody recants their faith, even in this present day, when people renounce the faith, they do not lose their salvation. They prove they never had their salvation. Why? Because the elect of God cannot be deceived. How do I know that? Because the strongest deception has yet to hit the planet. I do believe the whole purpose of this two-part podcast is to tell you to get your head out of the sand, look around, and recognize that the deception has already begun. That people are abandoning truth, they're embracing lies, they're believing anything but God's word, and that is clearing the field for the coming deception of the Antichrist regime. And then when the coming uh, Antichrist regime has infiltrated the world with its precise and particular deceptions, people will believe it. That's in the last podcast. Go back and listen to it. They'll believe it because they did not love the truth and they loved lies. But... The elect, the truly born again, cannot be deceived. We can struggle. Our faith can take hits. We can wrestle. We can groan. We can fear. We can doubt. We can, we can, we can really, really have a hard time um, aligning with truths. But in the end, when it comes down to it, we will not abandon the truth. The Apostle John wrote that in 1 John. He said, they went out from us. Because they were never of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained with us. So inherent to salvation, true salvation, is the endurance that comes with it. And we will not abound in the faith. So that's great, great news, especially for those of you that, like me, believe that the saints will go through the tribulation. And we will have to, some of us, give our lives for the gospel. I don't have to fear believing the lie. Why? Because I'm still loving the truth. Now, let me give you a pastoral. I'm going to put on my pastor's hat for a minute. The reason why I'm telling people all the time, you've got to stay in the word. You've got to stay fresh. You've got to always have your anchor in the word of God is because, because the human part that rests upon us of never being deceived is that we're convinced of the truth. And listen, the human part of it is you can't be convinced of the truth if you don't know it. And so the human element and responsibility of studying and knowing and staying rooted and abiding in the truth, that is part of the process by which God sovereignly keeps us out of deception and away from imploding at the end. So listen, yes, Bible, Bible, Bible. Let me say it again. Bible, Bible, Bible. 
You can't just chase after signs and wonders. You can't just operate in presumed Holy Ghost power. The, the, the reality is, is what's coming in the final stage of the battle against the church is the power of deception. And what is deception except that which counters truth? And what is truth? Jesus answered that question in John 17. He said, uh, or, yeah, Jesus said, thy word is truth. In John 17, 17, thy word is truth. He said that to the Father. So guys, do you understand that the human responsibility is we have to major on the word of God? I don't care if you speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. I don't care if you prophesy. I prophesy. Listen, some of you do signs and wonders and miracles. That's great. I hope it's genuine because Satan can counterfeit all that stuff. The difference is Satan will never bow to the truth. And so we're living in a generation where people are choosing either, you know, the Bible, but no power or power, but no Bible. And I'm telling you, as it was in the beginning, it must be in the end. We are people of power, supernatural, Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit truth, which is the word of God. It's heavy stuff. Let me read you from Revelation 17. So the angel, there's an angel in Revelation 17, and he's talking to the apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. And this, I'm going to seize on one phrase in here without unpacking the entire context of Revelation 17. Again, study it for yourself. This is not an exhaustive Bible study, but it says, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, Revelation 17, 15, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the people of the end times on planet earth, the non-believers comprised of multiples, uh, multitudes of the nations, languages, different types of people, they're, they're envisioned symbolically as the prostitute, which means they're counterfeit, they're anti-holiness, they are, they are, um, they are fake, they are um, operating in independence from covenant, they're prostitute. They're unbelievers is what it's saying. Verse 16, and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So the Antichrist actually ends up turning on everybody. He, the Antichrist system, the beast, the false prophet, the Antichrist system regime at the end of the age even turns against the unbelievers. Satan doesn't love unbelievers. He hates everybody. And so at the end of the age, he gets all these people through the Antichrist to pledge their loyalty to him. And then he turns on them too. It's not just the church that he hates and persecutes. Satan hates everybody. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so it, it says they will make her desolate. They will make the peoples, the multitudes, and the language desolate and naked, devour her flesh, burn her with fire. Why? Verse 17. For God has put it into their heart to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And then it says, verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Did, did you catch that? I know I'm talking fast here, but did you catch that? So the system, the global worldwide system, which is initiated and facilitated at the end of the age by the Antichrist, will turn on humanity, this humanity that is deceived, this humanity that loved not the truth, this humanity that embraced the lie, this humanity at this point that is already under the great strong delusion that God has released, and then part of the, the end result of them being deceived by Satan and deluded by God is that 
the system turns on the people to destroy humanity. And it says the reason why is because God put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. What does that mean? It means God said he would destroy everything that doesn't bring him glory. And at the end of the age, God is seen as being sovereign even over the rule of the Antichrist system. It doesn't mean God approves of it or endorses it. It just simply means that God, doesn't, that God does not mind using the devil to carry out God's own plans. When God wants to destroy, what does he do? He picks the destroyer, Abaddon and Polyon. That is the names of the, the enemy in the book of Revelation, Abaddon and Apollyon. It means destroyer, destroyer. And so God puts it into the people in the regime of the Antichrist to come against all of the unbelievers in the world so that his words are fulfilled. Now, I get it. I hear the protest. I'm almost done with this. I hear the protest. Um, Jeff, that doesn't sound like God. God would never do that. God would never cooperate with the enemy or use the enemy to do his will on earth. That's not the way the Lord operates. Really? Did you know he's already done it and it's in your Bible? Did you know that? Well, let me give you the, the text. In the book of 1 Kings chapter number 22, when God was wanting to exact some punitive justice against one of the kings, you have this little scene in 1 Kings 22 verse 21. It says, Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying of this king, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And God said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of your prophets. This was the word to the king. The Lord has declared disaster for you. That little snapshot from the Old Testament in 1 Kings 22 reveals that God does not mind using a foul, damned, evil spirit to accomplish his will against those that have refused him. It's incredible. You know, if nothing else, I hope that when we're thinking through these things, your little boxed-in version of the Americanized head padding and uh, constantly affirming and everything's great kind of version of God, I hope that thing gets obliterated because God is, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And God created Satan. God created the demons. He did not endorse their purpose. He did not create them to be rebels, but they are rebels. And God says, well, that doesn't stop me from accomplishing my purposes. I will actually use my greatest enemy to destroy those who believe my greatest enemy. And he's done it before. He put a, he literally sent a lying spirit to speak through the mouths of prophets. So a king would be deceived, believe erroneous counsel and die. But um, bump happy, light, fluffy thoughts by Jeff. No, not at all today. So what's the coming delusion? Jeff, specifically, what is the big lie? What is the big coming delusion? What do I need to be looking out for? Well, let me just go ahead and give you my um, biblically educated opinion. The Bible never says precisely what the coming delusion centers around. What the Bible, I believe, is declaring is something that we rarely consider. 
that at the end of the age, before the full return of Jesus Christ and the putting down of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, before that happens, the delusion will touch everything. The deception from Satan will have its cornerstone value somewhere. Maybe it's connected to the mark of the beast. Maybe it is something that we haven't considered. But there will be some answer given by the Antichrist that will satisfy the longing hearts of the people. And they will say, this is the one we can trust. This is the one to whom we pledge our allegiance. Put his mark in our forehead or on our hand. We worship this one. And they'll worship the Antichrist. And that deception will likely have a cornerstone value that will be the, oh, aha, you know, I've thought a lot about it. I'm thinking to myself with all the stuff about aliens and UFOs and all of that. This sounds really crazy, but I'm thinking to myself, I, I think part of the coming delusion and the great deception is that when demons, literally demons, and if you ask me what, what I believe aliens are, I believe they're demons. I believe they're straight up demons. I believe UFOs are demonic um, transportation. I actually believe that. And I think what's going to happen is part of what happens in years to come how many years, I don't know, but I believe what's going to happen is the idea of life, extraterrestrial life on other planets is going to be um, legitimized. It's going to be factually proven from a scientific point of view. And so people are going to say, aha, there's life on other planets. Therefore, this Christian nonsense is just for us, a bunch of peasant earthlings who were too stupid by comparison to ever conceive of worlds beyond our own. The God of the Bible is a lie. The Jesus of the Bible is a lie. This whole cosmos is so huge. We don't have to believe in any of this stuff we've been taught. We reject the truth. We believe the lie of science, the lie that these extraterrestrials are now the greater reality. And people will not understand those extraterrestrial so-called aliens from other planets are nothing more than demons. They're nothing more than demons. And whoever the Antichrist is, I believe this is part of it. I don't think it's all of it. The Antichrist is going to take this reality and he's going to somehow use it to put down the concept of the God of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those that are poser Christians, pretend Christians, non-biblically informed Christians are going to believe his deception. And then God is going to harden their hearts by sending the spirit of delusion on planet earth so that the only people who aren't deceived and aren't deluded are biblically informed Christians who love the truth unto the end and did not consider their lives unto the end. So they held on to the truth of the Bible, even to the point of dying for it. The delusion is going to touch everything. It's going to be a complete removal of allegiance to God's truth that's going to hit the planet. And God's going to send that to seal the deal. Nobody will ever repent after that that hasn't already repented. Nobody can ever believe after that who hasn't already believed. Nobody will ever bow to Jesus after that who hasn't already bowed. The Antichrist will be in a grand moment of unparalleled, see, I told you so, now worship me. And I think it has something to do with the UFOs. I know this sounds crazy to you guys. That's okay. I've said crazier things. But that listen, this stuff is happening. And I want you to be aware that I said it before it happened. I want you to hear me on this. 
that this extraterrestrial UFO stuff is going to be somehow connected to the deception at the end of the age, the dismissal of God's truth. Something's got to dwarf in the mind of cultural Christians. Something's got to eradicate. It's got to be so big, so strong, so overwhelming that it displaces their minute intellectual belief in the gospel. For those that are are true Christians, it's not a minute intellectual belief. It is the core of our souls. And it can't be moved according to Jesus in Matthew 24, 24, that the elect cannot be deceived. Why? Because we love the truth and we know the truth and we cling to the truth. And we don't interpret the truth through what we see happening around us. We interpret what we see happening around us through the lens of truth. The coming deception, the coming delusion. It's happening on a planet near you. And here's the thing. I believe it's already begun. The deception has begun and the delusion is coming. Take a look around you. Be aware. Be sobered. Get on your face before the Son of God and say, Lord, I pledge myself to believe unto the end. Holy Spirit, supply the enduring power of God. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.